some of you may be familiar with a, a less popular Disney movie called The Aristocats. Has anyone ever heard of The Aristocats? All right, so if you're not familiar, in the story, the greedy butler, Edgar, is going to catnap all of the kittens who are due their owner's massive inheritance. And if he gets rid of the cats, he gets all the money. And so his plan is to put them all in a shipping crate and send them to Timbuktu, which, as an adult, I now realize is a real place in the middle of nowhere. But as a child, just sounds, it sounds, in its very name, like it's in the middle of nowhere and potentially made up. Uh, in this story, uh, this true story that we're going to read this morning uh, from the book of Job, it's about a man in the land of Uz. And in the ancient Near East, Uz was like Timbuktu. It's in the middle of nowhere. But it's real. Uh, and so, uh, here now, if you would, uh, as I read the first chapter of this book called Job, about a man by the same name from the land of Uz. Would you please stand as we honor God's word in the reading of it? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. This is the second scene in heaven. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when uh, Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. 
While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan, for that excellent, excellent reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, long, long ago, Job or Elihu or somebody wrote these words. But even today, you speak through them to us. Would you be pleased to do that this morning? In Christ's name, amen. Another person long ago, not not as long ago as Job, but uh, Shakespeare a while back, in Romeo and Juliet, Romeo has this claim that he says, he jests at scars that never felt a wound that, but then you think, okay, but who is that? Who's the guy who's never felt a wound? That's nobody. Who does that fit? All of us suffer. Either we have, we are, or we will suffer. Suffering 101, we all have to take that class. And there are no upgrades to first class that bypass Suffering 101. Even though I, I want to be like my favorite character, Magnificent Seven, the old one, Brit, who has this great line where he can do anything he wants. He can overtake suffering. He can overtake anything. He says, nobody throws me my guns and says, run, nobody. Straps on his guns and goes and gets the bad guys. That's who I want to be. Just, hey, I can just step over suffering. I can step around it, but no, we can't. Even that expression, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, okay? Yeah, you, you can pull your boots up by the bootstraps, but you, you can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Try it. You, you can't do it. It's, it's impossible. In the same way, we can't get around the suffering. Just this weekend... Literally, word for word, email got from a friend of mine out of state. He said, we are really struggling with life. I am getting depressed too. All of that fits into Job. All that fits into Job. Alfred Lord Tennyson called this the greatest poem. Thomas Carlyle called it the grandest book ever written with pen. Some of you years back may have read uh, Philip Yancey's book, Disappointment with God. Kind of three questions he deals with in the book. Is God unfair? Is God silent? Is God hidden? All of those are coming right from Job. That's where he got those. So the bad news is studying Job is not going to get us out of suffering free card. The good news is it will teach us to endure it. 
with the setting, here's the picture or the sound that I think of with this. Some of you may remember this old TV show, Happy, Happy, Little House on the Prairie. And you can see little Carrie running down the hill, Ma and Pa waiting for her. That's the happy life. That's how this book starts. That's how it starts. So let's look at the setting briefly in verses 1 through 5. Okay, where? Where is this taking place? Maybe, maybe Timbuktu or maybe Edom. Edom was east of the Jordan River, southeast of the Dead Sea, near modern-day Jordan. The point being, it wasn't in Israel. Okay, it wasn't in Israel. The when, you know, in your Bible, if you look at your Bible, Job is kind of in the old, middle of the Old Testament, but that's not where it fits chronologically. It's really more, if you know, your Abraham, your Isaac, Jacob, Job was probably a contemporary of them. He didn't live in Israel, but he was around the same time as those guys. Job, the who, whose name was Job, the passage says. In Arabic, that name means to return to God, to repent, or one who is greatly tried. One who is greatly tried. So his name, maybe he was given that name when he was born, or maybe it was given to him later in life, a name that fit what he went through. Don't know for sure. But Job was both great and good. And those are not quite the same. He's mentioned in what we might call kind of like the hall of fame of righteousness in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 14 refers to three guys, Noah and Daniel and Job, as their great character. Job is called out there. He was great and good. How was he great? The passage says that he was the greatest of all the people of the East. All the people of the East. Some of you remember those old TV commercials with E.F. Hutton. When E.F. Hutton spoke, people listened. People listened because he was wise. That's Job. I want to hear from Job. He was wealthy. He was wealthy. That reference to those camels, that made a lot of wealth. It's like Job probably be like Monopoly. He's got Boardwalk, he's got Park Place, and he's got those three other properties on the same side. You don't know the names of them, but he's got all that stuff. He owns all of that. He is great. But more than that, he's good. He's good. Look at how it describes him. It says that he was blameless, not sinless perfection. That's not what blameless is. Blameless means a wholeness of character, that he's genuine, that he's authentic. What you see is what you get with Job. He's not the guy living next door, living the double life, who's the Unabomber. That's not Job. He's upright. He treats others well. You would, you would want to do business with Job. And if you're at the party and there's one more piece of cake, and you got to split it, Job, I'm fine with you cutting that piece of cake because I know you're going to give me the bigger slice. 
That's Job. He's upright. He feared God, meaning he, he revered God. He revered the Lord. Those WWJD bands, Job would have been wearing one of those even before the J had come. He would have been holding to that. What would God want me to do? He wanted to follow God's will. And then he turned away from evil. And the turning away from evil and fearing God are participles, meaning it wasn't just a one-time thing. Ongoing, that was the life he lived. With Job, religion would have had a good name. When you say Job's religious, people would say, I want to be like that. I want to be like Job. Because Job, in all those things, he even took sin seriously. Because in verses 4 and 5, we see on behalf of his children, he, he was a good daddy in this sense. The children would get together for parties. Ten children, okay, ten children. He had the seven boys, the three girls, ten total. All of those numbers are symbols of blessing, symbols of blessing. His family was so blessed. And when they would have parties, maybe it was a birthday party for every one of the children, or maybe it was, you know, 10 children. That's a lot of birthday parties. Maybe he was more economic and just said, hey, one big party for everybody. Don't know. Whatever it was. When they had that party, he knew, he knew the potential darkness in each of our hearts. It says in the passage that he feared, in verse 5, that the children might have cursed God. And what that more likely means is not a blatant cursing God, but may have dismissed God from their hearts. Maybe just kind of a callous, overlooking the goodness of God. You see, and he would offer sacrifices on their behalf just in case they had done that. You see, Job, Job is this book that's part of the wisdom literature, wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And Job knew so little of God. What I mean is we today know a lot more of God than Job did even back then. But Job had this sense in his depth of his soul that it's not so much how much he knows about God, but about how much God knows him. And the little Job knew of God, the little he saw in a mirror dimly, he followed. He worshiped. So here's our first point, question, application. For the little or the much that you know of God, do you live that out with integrity? Do you live that out with integrity? When you're home alone, when you're on the road traveling, when you're talking to a neighbor, when you're out there with other parents at the children's team or else you're on that team, are you living a life of integrity of how God would want you to live? So Job, Job gives us the picture of the good life, how things should go, how the universe should work. It's like a scene from a fairy tale. 
could close verse 5 and say, they lived happily ever after. Tiny Tim can just close us out. God bless us, everyone. Let's go home. But no, it, it gets good, as God defines good. With any fairy tale, you know, there's, a, there's an antagonist. There's an antagonist. And we hear now, in a sense, the dark note. We had a little house on the prairie. Now we've got that phantom of the opera here playing for us. Because scene two, just like Jonathan said, scene two comes in. We move from earth to heaven, and every good story has a villain. The curtains are pulled back. Not, not completely that we see everything perfectly clearly, but much more than a crack. The sons of God are called. There's a council. There's a meeting. You have to come. Your presence is required. Who's the one who shows up? In Hebrew, it says, the Satan. Not just Satan, but the Satan. The accuser. In Arabic, the serpent. This guy's song. This guy's song. Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. Three words that best describe you are as follows, and I quote, stink, stank, stunk. But in reality, much, much worse. Where has he been? I've been hurrying rapidly to and fro. Boom, God, that's all I'm going to give you. I'm on the go. I don't have time to sit and smell the roses or enjoy anything. I'm driven by hatred and to destroy. But how is he here? How's he there? You had Judas with the disciples. You got Satan with the angels. Sometimes you hear that line, God cannot be in the presence of evil. He doesn't have fellowship with evil. He even commands. He rules over the Satan. It's a difference in presence and fellowship. And it's possible that New Testament, Satan being cast out, referenced in Revelation 12, that that hadn't happened yet till the coming of Christ. So here he is in the presence of the other angels. But here's something to wrestle with. Verse 8. Look at verse 8. Who introduced the test? Who introduced the test? You have Job who's endorsed by God. Look at my servant. Blameless. All these wonderful things. What a wonderful post of a bio. I want that on my LinkedIn. Endorsed by God. But look at the bait, and look who takes it. God introduces this, and Satan, does Satan have to pull out? All right, let me look up Job on social media, or anti-social media. I'll look up Job. Don't need to do that. Job's in my recent contacts. I know Job. God's servants are known by the enemy. So Satan scowls. He he takes the bait. Does Job fear God for nothing? 
Notice what he does. He asks a question. He's going to ask multiple questions. He asks a question. Why? We'll see in a minute. And in verses 10 and 11, look at what we have here, what the Satan is saying. You put a hedge around him. You bless the work of his hands. You give him all this stuff. Premise, he worships you because you give him an easy, prosperous life. The hedge, Barak in Hebrew, that hedge, that blessing, we're going to see that word show up often, Barak, blessing, you give him everything he wants. Who wouldn't worship? That's really equal to this statement, which you might call the contrapositive. If you remove the prosperity, he will curse you. He will curse you. That word Barak, the curse and bless. Bless, but curse, same word, same word. It's a common technique in many languages where you use the one kind of to mean the opposite. We do that. Oh, last night, did you see the game? He played a wicked game. Wicked? No, very good. Years back, I was sitting by a dad and said, Levi, man, that's a nasty slider. I was like, oh, yeah, he's got a good one, huh? Twisting those words, meaning opposites. Conclusion, Job is pious only because he's prosperous. God, let me teach you something. This is the prosperity gospel, God. Pull this away. Watch what will happen. But notice, at the beginning of this, Satan is asking this questions. Is it that this? Why? Satan's the deceiver. Satan's smart. Satan's shrewd. Ask a question. It's not as clear that you're lying. But God knows lies like that. Who's the question for? Who else is there? Other angels of God. We as readers, original hearers, questions, questions, to get into our heads. Who's the test for? We'll see in a minute. Application for us. How do you answer the questions that the Satan asks you? Did he really say, don't eat it? Did he really say you'll die? Is it really bad to look just a little bit? Is it really bad to be a little bitter? Aren't those just little sins? Are they? The Satan loves to set the hook. Little hook. Get the hook. Got him. Kill, maim, destroy those little sins, watch out. The Satan's accusation. Take Job's blessings away, he'll, Barak, curse you. 
you'll see the real Job. So here's the deal, though. You got this non-omniscient accuser, Satan. He doesn't know Job's true motives. But the omniscient God already knows, already knows the outcome. God isn't the one being tested. He knows the sincerity of his loyalty. So why? Why did God agree to Satan's challenge? We talked about in the setting, scene one, the where, the when, the who, why? Why, why, why is this book here? Big idea. We could say Job is about suffering. Yes. We could say Job is about a cosmic battle. Yes. You got Satan and you got God. A battle playing out on and on even now. Job is about how God treats his friends. Christopher Ash puts that one. Think about that one. Let that sink in. And, and, is God worthy of worship? Is God worthy of worship? Our big idea. This test is not for God, it's for Job. He needs to realize, yes, after 42 chapters, he is worthy. And the angels who are watching the cosmic battle and you and me. Satan leaves, boom, like that. He's always in a rush. I think of my son is getting a surgery tomorrow. They're going to say to him, count backwards from 10. See if you can get to one when they put you to sleep. I've never made it to nine. You know, when that happens, Satan's gone faster than that. You took it, I'm gone. Out there in the little red Ferrari peeling, he's out of there. Satan always drives something red, right? But Satan is on a leash. He's on a leash. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, he is God's Satan. He's God's Satan. He's on a leash. God is not, 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 write this down, not the author of evil, but he can use it. God must control every atom, oversee every atom in the universe. There's two options, two options. Where do we land on how the universe is governed? Either, either we have a Star Wars, you know, good force, bad force, kind of like a dualism, right? We don't know who will win. It's like ping pong. Okay, you got ping pong and you got two guys playing and you got the Satan on one side and God on the other, right? So God hits a shot, Satan hits a powerful backhand and God leaps and makes a great save with the forehand. And, you know, who's gonna win? God's just kind of, he's well-intended in doing the best he can. I think we got better than that. For the Christian, God is sovereign. 
But he governs, he governs the universe by various means and powers. Either God is sovereign or he's not. He is, and he is worthy. He is worthy. And we're going to see that as we're headed through 42 beautiful, hard chapters. Scene three. Scene three. We had our our song where it's happy, 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 little house on the prairie. And then you got Phantom Opera. Here's the bad guy coming. Now we got the day the music died. We go back to earth. The day starts normally but goes terribly. What happens? Quick summary, because this happens quickly to Job. He gets these reports. The the Sabaeans, this roving people of Arabia, the Chaldeans, the nomads south of Mesopotamia, they attack. And Job, three attacks, basically six slaughters. Oxen and donkeys, they're workers. Sheep with shepherds, camels, and keepers. Six. Job is bankrupt like that. As Thomas Brooks, Puritan, put it, he says, As our mercies, so our crosses seldom come single. Usually they come treading one upon the heels of another. Wasn't that the truth? For Job, and I imagine you have felt that before as well. Each one of them, I only have escaped. I only have escaped. The Satan spared me to give you this message. Those six surreal, tragic, painful, overwhelming gut punches. Who's the agent in each? The Satan. He's not done. And he's not done. Remember the children who would get together for the parties. We had six blows with the possessions and the servants. The fourth report, the climactic seventh, number seven, complete blow. Job, your entire family with the exception of your wife, is dead. Slow down. Slow down. Hear that. Job is thinking, my stuff, I, I provided for people. I helped the poor. I loved, I can't do that anymore. My servant, Joe, we were just working and building a barn and he's gone. And then my daughter, my youngest daughter, just yesterday she was saying, Daddy, you're the best. Gone. Gone. We need to feel it. We need to feel it. Has the Satan won? Is he worthy of worship? Has the Satan won? No. Not this day, not this day. Job's piety was not dependent on his prosperity. 
Job didn't let one tentacle of that, of that transactional type of relationship get a hold of him. And if you feel one tentacle of that saying, God, I'll do this, if you'll do this, if you do this, then I'll love you and I'll worship you. Hack that tentacle off. Don't fall for the prosperity gospel like that. What was Job's response? What was Job's response? What did it say? It was this. It was this. And we got to, I mean, I feel it, picture it. Onto his knees, deliberately, hands down, head down. Worship. Worship. Worship is happy, praise, love, thank you. Worship is mourning, lament. Why? Why, God? But I'm going to hold on. That's worship. Worship when he said, you gave, you took away. I'm going to leave this world the same way I came into the world, but with you. And that's so much better. I don't take anything with me. You know the line, there's no U-Haul following. That hurts, right? Leave as I came. It all belongs to God anyway. You're the potter, I'm the clay. And as always, he says, going back to Satan's challenge. Going back to Satan's challenge in verse 11 Blessed be the name of the Lord. He'll curse you. Job blessed him, connecting those words. The last two verses are crucial to the plot of of the book, of the book. In the Hebrew, the word is this. The Lord gave, word gave Natan, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Job gave Natan, no blame or sin to God. The Lord gives, Job gives back no blame or sin to God. Will that continue? We'll see. What about us? What about us? Suffering doesn't produce who we are, but it reveals, it reveals about us. Will we blame? Will we walk away Or will we worship? Is God still worthy of worship amidst the trials when when you don't understand them, when you don't see the point? And so here's our final application. Application. We shouldn't leave here the same as we came. Application is either think something differently, feel something differently, or do something differently. I'm a think and do guy. This is a feel. This is a feel. How do you feel when God works with a process? How do you handle the process? What do we mean there? So often we want God to take us around, over, or at least fast through the wilderness. 40 years, take me me through in four minutes, please. I I want off the operating table process isn't fast. 
God cares about the process and how we're handling it and how we're clinging as much as the destination itself. And one of the oddest things about suffering, you're suffering, the sun still comes up in the morning. Life can slowly limp along. Our faith, our faith in the midst of the suffering. It's been said, faith means trusting what you see in front of you when it only makes sense when you look back. That's faith. Whitfield said, faith is putting the life of God in the soul of the man. That's faith. And then finally, he can boil it down to this. Faith is being patient with God. Faith is being patient with God. Will we cling to him and worship through it all? May that be the case. Would you play, pray with me? Our Father and our God, we cling to Christ because he's worthy. We cling by faith and we realize that it's not so much about what we know as trusting and clinging to how much you know us. Help us indeed in that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.